Over the years, the world of fashion has evolved in more ways than I can count, but few brands and designers have managed to survive at all. My guest this week has not only survived every single thing life has thrown at him, but with every challenge he had, he came back stronger and more successful. He's a phoenix rising from the ashes, and his name is Billy Reed. My name is Jeremy Kirkland, and this is Blamo, a podcast exploring the world of fashion with the people who shape it. My guest this week is American fashion designer Billy Reed. Billy and I discuss how he went from flunking out of college to learning how to design and becoming one of the most celebrated American designers. Last but not least, we discuss the growth of online in fashion and what it means to serve the digital customer. Mr. Billy Reed. Yes, sir. It is, it's a huge pleasure to chat with you. Oh, man. Pleasure to be here, for sure. You're, you're kind of like the white whale. For a lot of people, <laughs> because you're you're not based here, are you? I am not based in New York City. Yeah, because no. you're in Florence, Florence, Alabama, are the Muscle Shoals, as some people refer to it. So. Oh, you, do you hang out at Muscle Shoals? Well, it's a, it's kind of the same place. It's almost like saying Brooklyn and New York City in some ways. So Muscle Shoals is right across the river. Yeah, for for listeners who may not be aware, Muscle Shoals is the legendary recording studio of. I don't know. I would say some oh, yeah. of the best music in history. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, I could give you the whole Chamber of Commerce uh, speech on that if we needed. But yeah, Muscle Shoals is uh, quite a place. Um, for a while, I used to call it one of the greatest music stories never told. But since the documentary came out a few years ago, it's, right. it's kind of changed that. But yeah, a place where the Rolling Stones, Aretha Franklin, Bob Dylan, Paul Simon, Willie Nelson, the Black Keys, Alicia Keys. No relationship <laughs> between those two, but uh, yeah, just uh, thousands of people and you had the pilgrimage there to record, including Cher, Liza Minnelli, Paul Inca, yeah, the Osmond brothers. It's, it's an insane amount of people that came to this small town in the, in the middle of nowhere to make music. And Elvis recorded there too, I think, right? Or I think Elvis, uh, Elvis was there. He was in the building, but I don't know if he actually recorded. Okay. Something there, but what's really strange is several of his uh, backing musicians are from from the Muscle Shoals area. Yeah. So yeah. your like your brand to me has always been really interesting because you a lot of brands represent like say clothing, luxury, and that the they make clothes, they represent clothes. But for Billy Reed, for me, like Billy Reed has been almost more about music than about clothes. Like you guys were almost like musicians and, and, you know, sports fans that were also making incredible clothes. And I mean that in the highest regard. But sure like, you do. <laughs> no, I'm serious. You guys were like tra- transcended a lot of different wow. verticals. Um, and I think that's, that's, that's really special. That's, um, man, so weird. You know, it's, it's, it's cool to hear that, actually, because, you know, I, I'm a music freak. I am, I am a musician. I'm a sports fanatic. Uh, those are two things near and dear, and we try we try to stay involved with things in in those genres, mm-hmm. and uh, you know it's just a it, it feels very natural to be a part of that for us. So it's 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 kind of cool that you picked up on that because it wasn't anything we forced. It was just you know when people came in the shop, you wanted them to well you just want to you you know you want to introduce introduce them to something new and right inter, you know turn them on to some new music and new food whatever you know. New chefs, new artists. Um, 
my mom was so good at that. She had a store that was in my grandmother's old home. So it was a house and that had a kitchen and, you know, tables and couches and people would just go there to hang out. And this was back in the days of like Gloria Vanderbilt jeans, Calvin Klein, you know, Calvin Klein had just started. Right. Guess, you know, all it. She had a huge denim business. But anyway, the store was just a place where, you know, the music was playing, the food was, you, know, you could smell the food coming out of the kitchen. It was really a, you know, it was a retail experience before retail experience oh, was out there. Okay. So, so when, we, <laughs> when we started opening shops, it's the first thing, I, you know, it's like, it's got to have this kind of vibe to it, you know, in our, in our own way, but it, where it was a place you just want to go hang out. Where, That's hopefully what we can. This was in do, Louisiana? So. Yeah, in uh, Amite, Louisiana. A M I T E is the way it's spelled. What, can you, where, un- unfortunately, on my, my ignorance is no, going to shine here? <laughs> it is, uh, we are an hour north of New Orleans. Okay. And an hour east of Baton Rouge. Okay. And there ain't nothing in between. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of swamp. Okay. So, um, so you grew up in, in Louisiana? I grew up in South Louisiana, yeah. How was and, that? Oh, at the, you know, uh, it's all I know. So I, I love it. I mean, it's, it's hard. Louisiana people take a lot of pride in being from Louisiana. It's because you're, um, it, it, you know, you kind of get kicked around a lot being in the deep South and mm. in that case. So I think, uh, and it's such an unusual culture. It's almost like it's own country in many ways, you know, with our food and the music and, yeah. um, if, I don't know if I'm sure you've been down to, oh, yeah. been to Louisiana a few times, but it's hard to get that out of your blood. It's still in mine. Um, uh, if anyone asks where I'm from, I always say I'm from, you know, South Louisiana. It's something I'm very proud of. Yeah. Huge Saints fan, huge LSU fan, you know, all those things that are hard to... My daughter goes to LSU right now. There you go. So, um, yeah. Well, the, the, yeah, it's interesting because I think, you know, like like your brand and, and some of the stuff, like I, I didn't even intend to connect this. Yeah. But the concept of culture of and, and over clothing is something that like really stands out to me. Because like what you were saying earlier that, you know, the, the shop that your mom was at where there's, there's music, there's food, it's, it's like the true haberdashery. And then Louisiana itself, like, you know, that's a state that represents in a lot of ways, like a strong part of American culture, like from music to food to, you know, and, and obviously that's, that's you. Uh, well, that, that's, you know, it's something that I never thought, I didn't, I never thought of it that way. You know, it was just more of, um. You just kind of do what's in your heart, you know, and that's what you want it to. You just want people to kind of invite when you, when you, to me, opening a shop was like inviting somebody into your house. And so you feel responsible for everyone's takeaway from that. You know, what, what was their, what, hate to use the word freaking experience because it's so fucking everywhere. Sorry to curse on the, uh, no, you're fine. You can say whatever you want on the radio. You're here. good. Uh, it's not radio anymore. Um, yeah. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, you know what I'm saying. I mean, it's, yeah, it yeah. is an overused word, but you want people to walk away with, with something more than, hey, I just let, I love those clothes, but man, what a great place to go hang out. Yeah. I think when you, you know, you, there's a little bit of separation between those two. We certainly keep a pretty tight focus on the clothes and you right, know, right. How, how we're making them, where we're making them, and everything we put into it. But then in the shop, there's also a pretty heavy focus on hospitality, entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that's something we started day one and something I really see as kind of continuing to even do more of, you know, mm-hmm. and even kind of expand on that where we've, we now have kitchens in a, in a few of our stores and plan to put- Wait, for real? Yeah. Oh, dude. Yeah. So we've started having chef series in, in the shop, which has been fantastic. You know, invite about 30 or 40 customers in and it's been a really pretty cool, it's, it's, it just gives it something, you know, it just gives you a little more part of us. And, you know, again, it's that takeaway. What do you leave with when you leave the store or when you visit? What is that? You know, right. what's that vibe you got? What is that something you want to be a part of? Yeah. Well, let's, let's jump back a bit. So you grew up in Louisiana. Yep. And, you know, life there is pretty good. You're learning about <laughs> love and hospitality. The, 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 the core. Love and hospitality. Yeah. The, I like the it. The core competencies like, of being an empathetic <clears throat> American citizen. Yes. <laughs> um, where, where do clothes and stuff come in? I mean, because you said you grew up around it, but like, yeah. when did you, like, did you go to school for this stuff? Yeah, <clears throat> it it started, uh, well, you know, kind of by osmosis, really, through, with my mom having mm-hmm. the shop. I was around it constantly. Um, but I actually s- started college as a PE major. I wanted Physical to be, education? I, wa- I wanted to be a coach. Wait, for real? Yeah. Uh, and what kind of coach? Just a football coach, baseball coach. You know, I wanted to coach. I wanted to teach. I wanted to teach high school and be a coach. That was sort of my... That's a pretty noble pretty noble thing you said high school you didn't mention i want to coach d1 well, <laughs> that was next oh, okay I was, I was on the ladder okay. i had my ladder plan you know I've, i was never one of those people I, I never had like a master plan you know it wasn't right. like i want to be a fashion designer and you know do all these things and have these stores it never was that i really just want to you know i want to be a coach and and i love sports so much so i started at southeastern louisiana mm-hmm. um in hammond about 20 miles from my house. Mm-hmm. Started as a PE major and I flunked out as a PE major. Oh, wow. Yeah. Pretty hard to do that. But uh, I remember coming. <laughs> I'm sorry. I remember, oh, believe me, it was pretty comical. I remember walking in with my grades and my, my dad looked at my grades and he goes, You have an A in history oh, and an F in social dance. <laughs> How in the hell do you have an F in social dance? You're social and you're dancing every freaking night. How how, how can this happen? Yeah. So it was just one of those things where, you know, it's kind of on a bad track. And uh, a buddy of mine was moving to uh, Texas, and uh, he somehow convinced my parents to that I should move to Texas to Dallas and go mm-hmm. to the Art Institute of Dallas and study fashion. And um, that's a big pivot. He convinced them of that. I think I was in such bad shape at that point the, oh, the best thing for me was to get out you know and just get out of town get out so of your box get, yeah get out of the places where the where the bad influences were mm-hmm. so i did and i uh so i started going to study in you know fashion design and 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 and, and working full-time so i was going to school and working full-time i was working for uh Saks Fifth avenue okay and um in the men's uh, tailored clothing department so you, yeah, made to measure suits, and so you know, going through all that training, and uh, I was doing that full t- work full time, going to school uh, full time as well, and just worked my way up with Saks until I was, you know, running the designer sportswear area and managing opening the polo shop for them. And, whoa, 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 whoa! That that's that's pretty big. That doesn't that's not the standard the climb at Saks. It's not the standard climb at Saks, but I was very. I, I just had some fortunate things happen. I was. And I was good at it. You know, I came in there and was, you know, 
Well, I mean, you're, you're talking about like a lifeline was extended to you, but it also sounds like you were working pretty hard. There's a, there's was, a difference in those two things. It was, it, I was working pretty hard and, and it was, um, but I learned so much, you know, I got in, I was in that tailored clothing department. Mm-hmm. I was working with men that were 60, you know, 50, 60, 70 years old. My manager was 70. Whoa. He had worked with Neiman Marcus for, you know, 40 years before moving over to Saks. Wow. So just the, I was like a sponge, you know, and just mm-hmm. trying to learn as much as I could. And um, after four and a half years of that, another friend of mine convinced me that I should quit my job okay. and move to California to be an actor. Whoa, hold on. Yes. This is not in the Wikipedia. No, exactly. <laughs> so he was going to, he was quitting his job as he was a stockbroker. Okay. And somehow he, he quit his job. I quit my job. <laughs> we packed up a U-Haul trailer, drove to California, no job, no nothing. How old are you? At this point, I'm 23. That is sick. Yeah. Yeah. And um, ended up in, Ended up in Los Angeles. Uh, we both started waiting tables, of course. Sure. And um, I did that for three days. And then I said, man, I can't do this. I got, I, I, I got to make some money. I, I'm, I'm already out of money. We're three days. Yeah. So I started walking around the apparel mart in downtown Los Angeles. And Reebok had just started uh, their clothing collection. They were hiring sales trainees. And I said, man, I need to get this job. Interviewed. The guy liked me. Okay, put me on the road, and I started uh, traveling uh, five states with Reebok, pioneering Reebok clothing. Whoa. My states were California, Arizona, Nevada, Hawaii, and Guam. Dang! And that was my. So you're ter- going some military territory. bases. Yeah, no, a ton. <laughs> oh man, big commission checks from yeah. the military bases. <laughs> yeah, twenty nine palms. Wow. Yeah, yeah, the whole thing. So. I did. So I started there, and then Reebok had a satellite office that handled special projects um, and, and so there was sort of a, a satellite design office. Well, I got to know those guys and right. helped them work on one little project for human rights. And wait, a little project for human rights. Human rights. Remember the human rights concerts that were going yeah. on in 1988? That's not Peter a little Gabriel. project. Well, I was part of it. I mean, I was part of a, a, a team of people sure. that worked on the project. And then um, from there, I'm, I've been so fortunate to like meet people and they go, you know what, you need to try this. So I met this guy who worked for Reebok and he goes, I need someone in New York to handle all the special makeup projects for Foot Locker. Oh, I wow. said, man, I said, I'd love to do it. I said, at the time, I'd never been to New York City. Okay. So... I'm 26 now, 27, I guess, at that point, 26. Moved to New York, took that job. It was completely different than, you know, running a sales territory. Yeah. And then I moved to Boston with them and helped them start the Greg Norman collection. And then... Wait, how long are you with Reebok? I was with Reebok uh, six and a half years. Okay. And then left Reebok and continued to do freelance for those guys for another three or four years. Did a friend tell you to leave? Was a friend uh, like, hey, I got this idea? You know what? I was living in Boston. Okay. And I had met my wife. Oh, congrats. Not, not married at the time. Sure. And we ended up getting married, living in Boston. She was from Alabama. Mm-hmm. And um, we had both lived in Texas. 
at different times. And it was just kind of one of those things where we uh, felt like we needed to get back south. Okay. Just kind of on a personal basis. We just were sort of yeah. just ready to do it, you know? And so we moved back to Texas, set up our life there, and started doing freelance work um, for Fruit of the Loom. Um, <laughs> underwear project for a year and a half with Through the Loom. I did some work with Neiman Marcus, some work with um, Takashimaya. Oh, yeah, Takashimaya. yeah, yeah. Yeah, the legendary oh, department store. God, they were great. Yeah. And uh, the PGA Tour cool. when they started opening the airport shops right back in the 90s. So I was helping them with that project. So and, that's quite a portfolio. Just about that time, how are you acquiring work? Is this through the network that you have? A little bit through the network of people that I okay. knew, and they would call and say, hey, we need you to design this can you do it and sort of sure i'll take it on and it just things happened i was very fortunate because i'm not someone that's going to go out and try to solicit that work i've never been that kind of right just kind of shy in that way a little bit but but again like you know like you're you're incredibly humble which is really great but the thing the difference between someone who like makes the right decision is the ability to hear when the right decision is, is put in front of them, right? Yeah. So it sounds like... Or be desperate enough to just take, the, <laughs> take it when you get it. Sure. <laughs> well, but it, it sounds like, too, like these opportunities are coming and you're choosing to act on them. And yes. some, you know, obviously don't work out the way you want, like acting in L.A. Yeah, but... yeah. <laughs> no, that did not work out. <laughs> but hey, my, it's fine. For my buddy either. He went, yeah, exactly. Um, but th- that's, I mean, that's pretty incredible. It, it worked out, thank goodness. And then I was doing the freelance and... My sister, she was like, you need to, why don't you just do your own thing, start your own collection. And I had contacts in Europe from working with Reebok and mm-hmm. all these people in it. So I got on a plane, flew to, flew to Italy and started making samples. And my first season out was fall of spring of 98. And, and this is as William Reed. As correct? William Reed. Yeah. yeah. So it's, um, don't even remember why I called it William Reed, to be honest hey, with you. It was just sounded good at the It's time. the acting name, right? It was an acting name. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write that. I'm going to have to remember that one. But yeah, it was, um, yeah, so it's, it, we went out, opened two accounts, kind of disappointed that we only had two, got two accounts, but they were Fred Siegel and Stanley Korshak. Those are like two of the biggest. Two really good yeah. accounts. So it's like, man, if we can just get these folks to sell it well. You yeah. know, so we, you know, we did trunk shows. We did you know, personal appointments. We worked the shop on Saturdays, whatever we could do to get the business going. And mm-hmm. we did. And then I, the, we made this little handmade sketchbook. Mm-hmm. And we made 100 of them. They were leather bound. We did each one. Every, it was, I wish I had one with me. But we sent those to 100 people. And the next season, people started calling us for um, appointments, and we opened 35 accounts. Whoa. And so we went from two, and then we were able to kind of grow from there. Then we got into women's. I got a business partner um, who was in the dot-com business. Yeah, so you're and on the roller coaster now. We're on the roller coaster now. We moved the company to New York. Yep. You know, so, so I've got a big warehouse space over in Chelsea. You're at the Chelsea Hotel. Um, yeah, that was after. Yeah, yeah okay. I was living at the Chelsea Hotel for a little while. That was a trip in itself. <laughs> Let me tell you, the smells at the Chelsea Hotel, it's, it's, not, it's nothing but the smell never leaves. A hot plate with salmon patties, Ooh. man, that can smell up a building in a second. Oh, heavens. And my, well. Can, I just want to sidebar real quick. Yeah, yeah. What is the appeal of the Chelsea Hotel? Because, 
I know there's a lot of great historic music stuff that was there, but a lot of people still say it's like one of the greatest New York iconic landmarks. And like, what, what, why did you want to be there? For that reason, it was also centrally located at the time. You know, for me, I, I posted up in there after 9-11. So when I was trying to sort of come, so yes, I'm, I moved in there, but I had apartment, showroom, design studio, everything in this one room place at the Chelsea hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, and a bathroom, just a toilet freestanding in the middle of the room. Oh, no, no door, no curtain. It, it was, it was a humbling. <laughs> like Barney's comes to the appointment and they go, they're going from my like super cool warehouse I had over in uh, Chelsea. Now to this, <laughs> to the Chelsea hotel with the toilet in the middle of the room. She like, this doesn't have the same feel it had before. I'm like, no shit. <laughs> I'm struggling here. Give me an order. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, so um, it was very humbling for sure. For sure. It didn't, it, it, it didn't work out. So when, it was a great, it, it, it made me stronger for sure. Yeah. When, when does your first retail store come in? So, uh, yeah, just I guess to backtrack a sure. little bit. Um, so we had, uh, so I'd moved to the company in New York. Mm-hmm. We were doing very well. We had won the CFDA award in 2001. Which and you've that, won three times now, right? We have won, we have won three times now. But the first that's one pretty dope. Yeah, that was pretty good. I'll take this. <laughs> yeah. um, but the, after, the, after the first one, the next show was sort of the breakout show and okay. then was September 10th before the terrorist attacks. Oh, so. God. And then after that, you know, everything started to unravel. My partner's business, who was in the dot-com, but that sure. whole thing burst. Oh. And then, you, I mean, you knew, know what New York was like the yeah. months after that. Everything fell apart. So we moved to Alabama, and that's how I ended up in Alabama, was kind of out of necessity in a lot of ways. Um, that's a huge blow. I mean, a what? A huge blow. We were, that was sort of one of those, with like, what are we going to do? Yeah. You know, because we just lost everything, so. And it, I mean, was there... I don't, this is kind of a tough question for me to ask, but like, was there a form of camaraderie that you were experiencing with other people? Because I mean, surely you were not the only business and, and, and yeah, demographic I mean, to suffer I from mean, that. Uh, Miguel, the whole country. Miguel Androver was in that whole group. Yeah. Uh, Daryl Kay. Oh God. Man, she was fantastic too. Um, there were so many people, but for me, man, I really went into a pretty deep shell Oh, you know, man. I just felt like shell shocked, and um, so we moved to Alabama. And we started working on our, you know, we had we had bought a house there. It was completely okay. torn apart. So everything was just in disarray. We moved in with my in laws. Um, so how so, old are you at this time? Let's see, two thousand one. Give me a nineteen year. So I'm thirty <laughs> thirty two at this point. So you're, I mean, that's, that's tough. So you're moving in with the in-laws yeah, yeah. kind of like rebuilding, starting over NBA yeah. style. Yeah. Trying to figure out what's next. Yeah. Blamo is brought to you by Burrow. Burrow makes simple, innovative furniture for modern life at home. Their award-winning sofa is packed full of clever features and thoughtful touches that'll make you wonder why you didn't upgrade your living room situation sooner. So many folks reach out to me saying, hey, I got a real job. What clothes should I buy? The answer is not clothes. The answer is furniture. 
I've said it before and I'll say it again, the ultimate flex is nice furniture. So check out Burrow. Burrow's modular furniture can be assembled in minutes. You can easily take it apart if you have to move or add and remove seats as needed. Their furniture is made for you. The couches and chairs include a built-in USB charger so you can get those tweets off when you're binge watching all night. Oh, trust me, I get it. But most importantly, Burrow is high quality, made in America and luxurious. You can actually live in it, not buy it and put a plastic cover on. Their furniture is naturally scratch and stain resistant, and with their recently released Nomad line, Burrow now sells leather too. Yes, top grain Italian leather. So give your living room the upgrade it deserves with the Burrow sofa. Get $75 off a new sofa and free one week shipping by visiting burrow.com forward slash blamo. That's B U R R O W dot com forward slash blamo for $75 off a new sofa. Thanks again to Burrow for supporting the show. Yeah, yeah, and um, started freelance again. There Thank you go. God, Reebok. I got you know started doing some more redeemed by Reebok. Reebok, man, Reebok. God we we need to collab with Reebok. Yeah, you right? should. God Almighty! After all these years, <laughs> um, so I started doing some work with freelance. I did some work with uh, Taylor Made Golf. Oh wow! And um, that's OG. That kept um, you know kept food on the table because that's it, that's what we needed to happen at that point from a family standpoint. Yeah, because I, I want to be clear. I mean, when you're doing these things, this is not like oh, so you can get your third and fourth. Bend. No, this is to eat. This is to eat. Feed. I had two children at the time. You yeah, know, two young children at the time. Um, I think so. a lot of people don't always when people think that you're going to start with freelance, because I mean, I have listeners yeah. and people who have reached out to me and it's like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to do the freelance life. And it's like, man, when you get ready to sign that 1099 lifestyle, like that is, that is a, that's a blow. And it, it's tough. It's really challenging from an emotional standpoint, because you also have to be the person who's like, uh, cough, cough, excuse me. Can you please pay this invoice? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're, you are that man. It's like, please, my mortgage payment is due right now. Like, can you please pay me? Yeah. Like in, in full transparency, for, you, you become great friends with the accounts payable people yes. at the company you're working with. I was, that's what exactly what I was about to say. Yeah. I have sent flowers to accounts payable people and I have also been like, hey, I have a daughter and we have health insurance and this would mean a lot if you could pay me in the time you said you were supposed to. And they're like, oh my God, yeah. It's just like, it's tough. It's really tough that you, but you were doing it and you were doing great. We did it. We survived it, you know, and then I um, it was I had a call from uh, some friends of mine that um, were opening, they wanted to open stores and um, they they said, we have this idea for opening stores, and we're going to call it Hampton Reese. And I'm like, well, who is Hampton Reese? Oh, it's this fictitious jazz singer from the South, and we want to... I'm like, you know, I like the idea of opening stores and everything, you know, the concept, and um, but I th- I'd really like to relaunch. I think there's some validity, validity to relaunching the collection, my collection. Right. And I said, but I w- would like to call it Billy Reed. Oh, so you Not had the idea William. to go from yeah, William. Yeah, it's Billy. like I felt like it was, no one ever called me William. Uh, I'd always been Billy. I said, whatever it does, just want it to be real. You know, I just want everything we do, I just want it to come from a place of, you know, realness and mm-hmm. authenticity and another overused word. But 
Um, and they thought about it and agreed to do it. And so they came in with the retail background and they were based in Texas. Mm-hmm. So we, from a logistics standpoint, we needed to open three shops just so we could take on the minimum quantities for inventory. So we opened a shop in Houston, Dallas, and one in Florence, Alabama, which is where, where yeah. it's based. And that's how we started. Holy cow. And I think that's where a lot of people, at least from like people, you know, maybe my age and things like that, that really, you blow up because now you're doing massive runway shows. You're, you have your store, um, you know, shout out to, uh, Brandon Caps. I don't I know yeah. he was, cause he, I remember he introduced me to your guys brand too. I think this is when you were on, I think it was the Bond Street shop. Yeah. Brandon's Brandon was one of the first Bond Street guys. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in the, I remember going into your store the first time and being really dumbfounded because I had never, you know, like when you think of cool New York retail, in my mind at the time, I only understood like true, true, like high fashion, but it was very intimidating. Like mm-hmm. I can't touch the wall. And I <laughs> go into your place and there's like comfy couches and there's clothes everywhere, but it's inviting, it's relaxing. And there was like records and stuff playing on the background. And this is 2008. Eight, eight? Yeah. yeah eight, this was yeah, really maybe. early. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. you and know, we had great people. We still have great people, yeah. but that makes such a difference too. But yeah, that was, we opened in New York <laughs> a little bit of that uh, PTSD. We opened in the day we flung open the doors to oh, open boy. in New York was the day the stock market crashed. Oh, God, oh, heaven. God. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, you have buy at the it. high, sell at the low, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so, but we made it through it. Can, um, can I ask you, like, what yeah. are the things that you're clinging to that are helping you endure these? In in a lot of ways, uh, for for others, sure. I think they're career devastating. But you refuse to die. I mean, they, what- they really are. It was. I felt that way. I mean, I thought I was going to be cutting grass, you know, and our bartending. Yeah, back in 2001 when everything happened. Um, you know, you just got to, it, it's family. I think I just my family, man, was what got me through it more than anything else. Just my wife was just so solid. Never, she, never once did she not believe that, you know, we'd make, make it happen again. And I don't know why she believed, but she did. Um, and that wasn't, that was, that was it. That got me through it. And you know, it's, it was one of those things too. It's like where you, if if everything is taken away from you, if you've got your kids and your your family, you know, there's nothing. What else is there? You know, can't you? You really, you got to break it down to like what's what's really important to you, right? Like, nothing else matters. If I got to go cut grass, who gives a shit? You know, I've I've got this wonderful family here. Everything's going to be fine. So I think it definitely, I think what going through something so traumatic like that, it actually, it just made me more confident to kind of like, we're going to get through this. Everything's going to be fine, you know, because I've got this. Right. And um, that's what, that's what it was for me. You know, I don't know if it's like that for everyone, but it's gone through stuff like that. But, uh, and, and, you know, things just kind of worked out. Yeah. I mean, the concept of like finding your rock, like what, what can be your foundation to, to stand on? Because, 
you know, unfortunately, it's amazing that you had that family, but not everyone does have that family. But, yeah. you know, I think people can build and find the community around Sure. That, oh, yeah. You know, and, and that's, that's really incredible and powerful because it also goes to show, like, for me, like, why I think I connect so much with your brand is because there's, it's not really, again, like, it's not just clothes. It's, it's, I'm, I'm buying into the, the story and the endurance of Billy Reed as, as a, it's, it's amazing. Well, that's pretty, that's cool. Yeah. I, I, I dig that a lot. Cause it, that, uh, that makes me feel, that, that makes me feel good for sure. Just imagine yeah. if you were called what Hampton Reese. <laughs> <laughs> It, you know who knows, man. God bless those investors. You know what, though? But glad I'm you changed. You, <laughs> God, I was. You know, it was also one of those things where I, I mean, I was. I needed something good to happen. Yeah. You know, and they came along, and that sure, I was sure. fortunate they did, and um, we had a good run for sure with with those guys, and yeah, it all worked out. You know, the whole thing was while we were doing that, it was really we were making customers like. It was one-on-one, man. Yeah. People are coming, I mean, one at a time, you know, here comes this customer. Let's, what, what can we do for this customer? Here comes the next, you know, and it was just kept building and you were just hoping they were going to talk about, you know, spread the word and mm-hmm. got fortunate that it happened. And I just kept saying, man, if we can ever get back to New York, if we can ever open a store in New York City again, I said, I, I promise you, I said, I've got people there. I got people there. I said, there were people there that believed in me. I said, they will come back. I promise. And uh, we did, and I'll be damned, you know, we just got so fortunate those people did come back, you know, and they supported the editors and everyone, you know, it was just such a, uh, one of those things where you think it might happen and you hope those, hope those good things will happen, but I was very fortunate that folks did come back and supported it and yeah. really helped us get on our, I mean, took us to, took those next steps with us. I think, like, that's a true testament to the, the power and the community of the industry itself. Because, I mean, look, I've not been anywhere near as long as you have, but there is a strong, I don't, you know, yes, people are competitive, but at the same time, like no one really wants anyone to fail. Hell no. Yeah, yeah. exactly. They, everyone wants people to succeed and, you know, people want to do what they can to help them succeed. Because it's, it's a small, it's a super small it's industry. A tough business, man. I yeah. mean, it's freaking impossible business. You know, I've got so much respect for anyone that can make it happen in any capacity in this industry, you know? Yeah. So it can be very fickle and, you know. So you come back. Yep. You're Billy Billy Reed, like three or 4.0, whatever this is. (laughs) Yes. And you, you win more CFDA award. Well, we did. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, (laughs) wasn't why we were doing things, of you know, not. but it, it was so cool to happen. And yeah, I got to meet some amazing, amazing people that I, you know, like, you know, I got to meet Ralph Lauren and hang out with him. And this is something I never would have dreamed of. I mean, it's someone I've idolized, you know, and it's things like some really neat things happen. What did, did Ralph share any words of wisdom with you? Or was he just like, keep on fighting the good fight? Keep on fighting <laughs> the good fight. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, he was just, um, always kind of came back. Just, he was very much just do what, you know, believe in yourself, do what you feel, you know, right. um, never compromise on quality. Never, you know, 
don't compromise on your brand, on your image, and all of them. That was kind of his main topics. But um, we mainly just talked about life, you know? It wasn't really a lot of business stuff. You know, it's talking yeah. about, you know, his family and my family and just kind of a conversation. Something I didn't realize, I think you're one of the few American designers who has achieved the skyrocketing success that you have, but also never worked for Ralph Lauren. <laughs> that may be true. I think everyone has worked for Ralph. Yeah. Uh, I would have loved to work for Ralph. You know, sure, just, sure. Um, yeah, there's no shots fired against yeah, him. But yeah. I, I did um, open a couple of his shops for him. Okay. And I remember as a kid when I was in Louisiana, my I was working in a clothing a men's clothing store there, and they were one of the first Ralph Lauren accounts in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. They were the only uh, account outside of New Orleans and Baton Rouge. Wow. At the time, it's like in the early days of, of polo. And man, I was immediately just like, I've got to have, you know, I spent all my money on, on, on polo. Yeah. At that time. That's crazy. And I remember even when I worked at Saks, the Highland Park Village Ralph Lauren store mm-hmm. was so cool. Um, I just remember walking and saved my money, you know, because they, they, the, they had the shoes there. We didn't have the shoes at Saks. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted these loafers so bad. Save my money and said, I'm going to make this experience last when I go in here. Because when you go in, they offer you a drink. Yeah. I think I had three scotches. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> then I finally bought my loafers. And I yeah, left. you're like loaded up. Oh, you're like, yeah, oh, I'll yeah. take those shoes. Yeah, I'll take those shoes right now. <laughs> yeah, I'll take those little loafers. Yeah. But I was obsessed with, with Ralph early on. Yeah. So now, I mean, how many stores are you guys? We have uh, 12 stores. 12. 12 now, yeah. And plan to open uh, three more this year. Jeez. And, uh, and we're kind of revamping a couple, moving a couple of stores. Okay. In, in kind of hopes of, what we talked about, having a kitchen and having more ability to kind of more hospitality within the space. But How do you scale when you're a business that, you know, you're only supporting a few stores and all of a sudden, you know, your 12 stores. I yeah. mean, I know it's little by little, but like, what does that process look like? You've, well, it's in a couple of ways. For, from the product standpoint, it doesn't change that much because okay. it takes as much effort to make one sweater as it does to make a thousand sweaters. Okay. You know, from, from the pro design and the development part of it, we've got to design it. We've got to put all the, you know, go through, go through that process to make the one first. So that doesn't change. Um, where the scale change is definitely in people. Mm. You got to have people that know how to run the business. I'm not really a, a numbers person or sure. even the, the the business types of things that have to happen. So that's a whole different part of it. But then there's the people part of it in the stores. I mean, you have to have a really strong culture. I don't think it's something you can also do quickly. I mm. think you have one thing that's been so. Even twelve stores is a lot of stores, but yes, it really is. It, um, but we, it's not like we said go open ten stores today. You know, three, and then we'd add two, and then we'd add three more. So there was a process to that, which, from a people standpoint, is you've got to have people that are representing you. Those people on the front line in the store, they're the ambassadors of the collection. You know, so they've got to be, yeah, have it. I mean, that that's where your risk is to me. We bring those people to Alabama routinely to oh, wow. train them and keep them, you know, 
entrenched in what we're doing, that's been a big help. Um, and, and, and what happens over time is that if you get enough good people, they'll weed the bad people out. Interesting. You so know, they kind of like a self-govern and regulate. A little bit of self-regulation. <laughs> you know, and for us, I'll take someone, I could care less if they know anything about clothing. It's like, what kind of, are, are, they, are they a good person? Do they treat people well? You know, are they well-mannered? Are they, yeah. you know, you, you, I go for the person first and then we can educate them on the other stuff. Yeah, I think that it's really interesting too because you were like, well, look, we don't need to do the 12 stores initially. And like, I think a lot of people, especially newer, younger entrepreneurs, have um, maybe an unhealthy desire to scale very, very quickly. And in a way, um, from friends that I know that are in the, the, the sphere, like it becomes almost to their detriment because mm-hmm. they're so focused on the growth that they miss out that what makes growth successful is the quality of the people that are building that. No doubt. I mean, you got to be able to sustain it, you know, and that's a whole, can you sustain that momentum? Can you sustain that aesthetic? Um, You know, Ralph always did such a good job with that. I mean, honestly, he was open, you know, hundreds of stores, but the aesthetic was there in each one of those, you know, was able to sort of master that. Mm -hmm. I'm sure the people part of it sort of, you know, went off track at times with that many stores. I mean, it does for us too. We can find, it's like, wow, that person's just not... They're not working anymore. Yeah, they're they're getting off the rails. Let's get, got to make a change. But it's it's also the point for for me, I mean, I want to be involved in designing that store. You know, we, Mm. I want to be in, what does it look like? What's, what is the wood that we're putting on the trim here? What does that look like? What does it look like? What is, um... What are the rugs we're selecting? What is, you know, every single detail. I want to be a part of that. Right. It's hard for me to step away from that. And that's kind of good and bad because it can stunt the process at times because I don't really have time to do every single one of those things. But it's so important to me that every single detail, I feel like I'm responsible for it. Mm. Um, I feel that way with everything, you know, every bill that comes through, every, I feel like it's my responsibility because my name's on it, you know? And yeah. um, so, um, yeah, <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a weird spot to be in at times. Have, have you been able to, to kind of regulate yourself in terms of, of the time that you're spending on this? Cause I think like people in your situation, especially ones that are like, I think that are as brilliant as you are, have issues sometimes pulling themselves away from, smaller details that may not be as important uh, i'm i'm the worst at trying to pull myself out of small details <laughs> okay that, uh, yeah no one but gave I, me that question by the way yeah, i was just oh curious. god <laughs> i am terrible at it but i try my best like to compartmentalize like okay and i know like i'll go all right it's social media sure it's like i'm just gonna put this in this box over here for this week okay because i mean damn we got to get the spring development out for spring 2020 if that's yeah. not done there's you know, nothing to there's take a not, picture there, of anyway. Yeah, there'll be no social media. So I've got to focus on this. I've got to trust that whoever's doing the social media, that we're going to be in good shape for the next week without me sort of dipping into it. So then I'll probably yeah, okay. wing back into it one late one night and then probably go on some damn rant of like, <laughs> what the fuck is going yeah. on with this? And, you know, it's fortunate to have just a wonderful, wonderful group of people that have seen, that know my emotions and, um, Oh, there you can, go. Can deal with it because, um, yeah, very passionate and very emotional. Um, and 
Yeah. Yeah. No, that that's fine. Yeah. It, well, it, it shows you care. I mean, I get I it. You care. I care about every part of it. So. Yeah. I mean, speaking of social, like that's, I think, something that a lot of brands are still like, it's a wild west, right? Like, I don't know if there's any brand that has mastered social only because it feels that it's impossible to do because it changes all the time. Oh, like, you, you know, I, I think, uh, I'm trying to think about it. It was, might have been like Derek Blasberg or someone that I had on the podcast at one point who had said that like some of these companies are looking for people that have like 10 years of, of like, you know, social media experience. And he's like, it, it, it didn't even really exist then. Like, no. how can you, no one has that experience you, yet. You're better off taking a teenager and putting them in charge yeah. of social media. I mean, honestly, I'd rather, I mean, it's, how do you, how do you attack it? You know, I, I personally, I, I mean, I'm, I hate social media. I yeah, hate all okay. of it. I sure. hate it. You know, I hate, I hate dealing with it. I mean, it's just not, I'm too busy doing stuff to, to sit around and document it. You know, I'm just, I, and it wasn't really something ingrained in me to do anyway, you know? So yeah. it's definitely something I've had to sort of warm up to. And there's times when I'm way into it and there's times where I'm like, man, I don't want anything to do with this. But, it, you know, I've, but I, I think my children are some of the best social media police. They'll see something. Oh. And they'll go, Dad, who posted that? Did Uh-oh. you post that? That doesn't look like something you'd post. Is that, no, I didn't post that. You need to take that off. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, there and you go. So, yeah. It's, it's, there was a, a, a friend of mine or a person I knew who was asked by a very big tech company to wear these glasses that had a camera on them. And the whole social media experience was basically going to be like a day in the life of this design. Hmm. And uh, he was, or they, whatever, were telling me about it. And they were like, this seems like the worst idea ever. (laughs) He's like, you don't want to see all the things. He's like, there's a reason why designers refine, because you don't want to show everyone every iteration it took to get to the That's exactly right. That's why at the Oscars, there's a red carpet. If you saw what was going on behind the scenes, it would look nothing like that red carpet does. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Yeah, And that's kind of the same way with the store and the garment. It's like, it's, it's not always pretty. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's pretty wild. So what do you think are some of the things that like you guys are, you know, obviously you're, you're, you're growing more in your stores, but what are some of the other steps that you guys are trying to do now? It's a big question, but yeah, yeah. no, the stores is a big part of it. Um, Our, our digital business has probably been the fastest growing part of our business and uh, like on like your e-commerce. Yeah. Online has been probably the the fastest growing part of things. Interesting. We had, um, uh, we we kind of had some a shake up uh, about a year and a half ago with okay. management and and partnership and just also strategy. At that time, we sort of like no more promotional, digital promotional. You know, friends and family, right, right. Twenty percent hospitality, you know? seven hundred emails. It was a, a day. drug, man. We were so like dependent on the sale and mm. like that email going out for people. You know going to get it on sale, waiting for the email to come. Yeah. So we, we stopped that and we'll have sale at the end of the year. It'd go on for two or three weeks. It's over. Fiend. Sales out clean. Mm. Um, and what that did, it, it definitely slowed the initial volume of, of, um, of the e-com, but it immediately, the profitability went up. And what we actually did was we, 
our our customer ratio went from where we were only getting about thirty percent new customers mm-hmm. coming shopping online to now seventy percent of our customers are new customers online. Oh my so it's completely changed that dynamic for us. So we're sticking with that. <laughs> we're sticking with that strategy. Yeah, it's a um, yeah, it's really helped quite a bit. So so we, we're putting a, a tremendous amount of focus on the on the digital space and content. I mean, just more resources towards that than we've, you know, than probably doubling really the resources in that part of things for us. And then with the stores, really looking to retrofit some of our older stores mm-hmm. where we can um, have more hospitality functionality within the space. And then where we're opening new stores, really, you know, looking for, like we're opening in Birmingham and it's in an old Dr. Pepper bottling building so it's a huge space and it's in downtown birmingham it's kind of an up-and-coming area that's a great place to start a store by the way really smart well it could be well birmingham is we we have more customers from that those zip codes Mm. than any other place where we don't have a store interesting so it makes sense um and we've got a lot of good support there from the state and from the city uh, but that store will have a restaurant, it'll have a florist, uh, we'll have a little coffee bar, we'll have books, we'll have furniture. You're making you know? like a town hall. It'll be... Uh, <laughs> no, that's great. It's, it's, more, it's more than a retail store. It'll be, a, you know, it'll be, um, you know, in some cases, just some of those things. Like, you know, when you used to go to Colette in Paris, you know, and you, yeah. you walk in, I would, I would go in just to buy magazines and books, you Me know, too. and it's like... That was that was my that was my jam there. So it's like let's do that in our store. We can do that. You know, we've got the space in this. So we're really trying to complete some of the lifestyle parts of it um, within the space. Yeah, not, not just kind of having those things around, but actually just taking that to taking the next step with, steps with that. I think some of the biggest challenges for brands that are you know riding physical and digital at the same time is really specifically on the brands that make clothes. Because for me, so much of my experience of Billy Reed is the the shop and the vibe and the service and the hospitality. And you can't serve someone a drink through the website. You know what I mean? So you can't like... Not yet. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Might have to recut this someday. But yeah. And, but I mean, you you know, you guys obviously are, are being able to, to, to learn all the stuff that you're seeing from from the site itself and informing where you grow, which is really cool. We, we've really, from what I've gathered, it seems like the opening of the stores and the stores actually support the digital space. You mm. know, it, there's such a crossover between you know the people that are shopping in the store; they're also shopping online, right? And so that it, we we feel that balance is is healthy. I know a lot of people are down on retail, and you know, it's no more brick and mortar. That's that's dying, but we were we we're taking a different approach with that. Well, it's yeah. I and, really hate when people say that like it's dying because like it's not. I mean, look the the concept of what it was. Yeah, it may not be what people still want, but no one is like not going out anymore. Yeah, true. like I I as much as I got every stupid streaming service at my house, but I'll tell you, I freaking hate sitting at my house. I want to go somewhere. I want to go to a coffee shop. I want to go to a place. Where I can be around other people, mm-hmm. and I'm not that unique. Like so, the the concept of people saying like, "Oh, retail stores are gone." Sure, sure, maybe like two mannequins and a jacket hung up in a corner may not be as inviting as it was. But 
having a place to be and be around other people is, especially in a, this isolating digital world, like it's mandatory now. It you is. need it more than ever. You do. And it really puts a lot of pressure on the service part of it because yeah. you've got to be spot on. You've got to be immediate and you've got to, and you have to connect it to the digital somehow. Yeah. That's you know, true. I think if you can do that where there's a, a sort of a seamless connectivity between those two things, Nordstrom is starting to do a good job with that mm-hmm. on a bigger scale. Um, yeah. I think it's, um, we believe in stores. We believe in that experience of someone coming in there and making that one-on-one connection. Um, yeah. you, it, if you do that, you know, you know, you made the connection. Yeah. Unless you just totally screwed it up, you know, whatever. And it, it was a terrible experience for the person. <laughs> it's, hopefully it sounds does. like that's not the case. It's not the case. Yeah. So, but I mean, there, I don't think you can replace that. There's, there's nothing that replaces that human interaction. Yeah. Speaking of human interaction, mm-hmm. uh, a friend of mine, he is trying to, yeah, he's trying to like reinvent retail and his, and he's not doing this idea anymore, which is why I don't mind saying it on the thing. But his idea was that through everyone's phone, you would come in through the store. And when you came in through the store, the salespeople would know everything you bought. And so they would never recommend you anything that you don't want or you don't like. Mm. But the, the pushback that he got, not just from tons of other people that he showed this to, is they were just like, but the whole point of these retail stores are about the experience. And if you just turn someone into data and an algorithm, you're going to miss out on the human interaction. Because you just said, like, the, the human interaction interaction is so important. You can't have that if you're just like, don't bring the personal large. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, you, you're going to miss out. And you miss out on that imp- the impulsive part of that, too. Right. I mean, how many times you've been shopping, you go, man, I freaking love that plaid cap. Yeah. I want that plaid cap. Yeah. Or, God, I've been wanting a tool bag. Sorry, your algorithm doesn't support you yeah. liking this. <laughs> you know what? Because I've never bought one. Because I've never seen one I like. You know, so that's your case. But... No, I completely agree with that. I, I, mean, I think there's some, you can see where it could be sure. a, a total advantage. For and, car parts, maybe. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah. I could see it in clothing, too. I mean, we, we keep up with a lot of data, you know, yeah. who buys what and what price points are they buying things at? Are they a sale customer? Right. You know, regular price customer? Do they buy runway pieces? Do they buy your basic pieces? You know, we, we can see all that. and. We know all that, but I think there's, yeah, I think you want people to come in and kind of figure it out for themselves a little bit. That's awesome. So one of the last things I wanted to ask you about is, I mean, earlier we were talking about coaching, that you wanted to be a coach. Yeah. Do you think you, do you, think you ever accomplished that? I did. I got very, very fortunate. Um, my son, who, um, he's, a, he's a great athlete, uh, he plays... Baseball. So I started coaching baseball. Oh, okay. Uh, when he was nine years old, I actually coached him when he was seven. But then at nine, it kind of we started taking it a little bit serious and um, coached him, and then coached the the, the town all star team. Whoa! For three years, and each year we kind of made progression towards the state tournament. So. First year we got knocked out in the semifinals. The next okay. year, when they were eleven, they got knocked out. In the finals, oh, and then the next year, they won the state. And there then we go. got to go to the regional. And the regional was in Madisonville, Louisiana, 40 minutes from my hometown. So then I got to take them to the regional in Madisonville. And we won the regional. 
And then we got to go to Aberdeen, Maryland, playing the Babe Ruth Cal Ripken World Series against the Dominican Republic and Japan and teams from all over the world for two weeks. Holy cow. Yeah, it was this crazy experience. So it all came full circle where I did get to have this crazy experience coaching and which the coolest thing was designing the uniforms, which was super cool. <laughs> yeah, I was about to ask, like, did you get to make some cool yeah, swag? We, man, well, this was so funny. That whole, we did, I mean, we had made, we had done so much swag over the years. Even I looked back at one of the William Reed shows, and I had done this LSU sweater that we ended up doing for the Athletic Foundation at LSU one time. But, oh, that's cool. So we've always kind of had those things, and um, we've done fundraisers for my daughter's cheerleaders, you know, the cheerleaders and things like that at school. And we're now taking that whole idea, um, that, and we call it community, which is where we're taking, it's almost like team gear for each one of our markets. Oh, wow. So we're taking that whole idea, we've, which we've had in the Florence store. I mean, sure. we've sold all the swag that we've done for the schools and stuff. And now we're starting to take that to Chicago and New York and where it's this team gear that we, you know, kind of stock in each shop as its own sort of swag. That's awesome. Yeah. So it's good. It's better price points, easy to wear. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's kind of fun. But yeah, so I did get to coach. I still coach, uh, still do some instructional work and stuff like that for baseball. So you did it. Yeah, I did it. I got to do it. it. Man, I gotta say, it was one of the coolest experiences I've ever had in my life. I'd probably quit my job right now to go coach high school baseball. Really? I love baseball so much. Oh my God. Yeah. It's wow. It's definitely a passion. I think when I retire someday, that will be what I would like to do. Really? Yes. Good for you. Yeah. I dig it a lot. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, Billy, this was, it was an honor and a pleasure. Oh, I, man, I it's really an honor to be here this. for sure. Oh, thanks. I was happy to be invited and it's cool, man. Well, yeah, thank it's you. It's good to express some of the stuff. You ask questions that a lot of people don't ask, so it's good. <laughs> well, thanks. I'm, I'm just a fan at the end of the day. That's all I am. I mean it. Thanks yeah, so much. Cool. It was good chatting. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, later. You've been listening to Blamo. As always, our theme music is by Tan Lines. If you like the show, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow along with us on Instagram at Blamo Podcast or email us at info at blamopod.com. If you want to chat with other friends of the pod, join our Slack group. It's a place online where tons of other listeners chat about clothes, watches, you name it. Just send us an email saying, hey, I want to join the Slack and we'll get you in. Thanks a lot. See you soon.